one second. All right, now y'all can hear me for sure. But uh, no roundtable tonight. Scotty is on the road traveling with his uh, family, man. I wanted him to be able to spend some time. I know he only has his, his kids for a certain amount of time um, at this time of the year. So I wanted him to be able to spend some time with his family. And so we decided to push the roundtable back till next week. Man, there was so much to talk about that I felt like I needed to come on Go live. We're going to talk about Mississippi Valley State's new head coach, the latest on North Carolina A&T's coaching search, potentially rumors of Grambling State hiring a new OC, just kind of giving y'all what I've heard, some transfer portal madness, and a question. I would say a questionable decision to enter the NFL draft. I really want to get y'all's opinion on it, figure out, you know, do y'all think – Y'all think Maurice Washington made the right choice? It kind of came out of the blue. A lot of people were confused on why it happened and, you know, what the reason it was behind it, who gave him that advice. We're really going to – I really want to get y'all's opinion on it, though. I'm going to go ahead, open up the call lines now, and the call-in number is right there, man. Uh, 701-779-9585 is the call-in number as I get these call lines open before the show. But, man, I'm hoping you guys all had a great holiday weekend. National Championship in, um, national championship press conference is up now. We had both head coaches from North Dakota State and South Dakota State, three player representatives from each school. And I, I appreciate the incident of Blade for giving me the opportunity, man, to cover the national championship. It's been amazing to see how far this this um this channel and also just us as a brand have grown because of you guys, man. So I want to give you all a big shout out on that, but let's get right into it. We got some upcoming interviews, man. I wanted to let y'all know what's coming on the channel. Interview season is right around the corner. I have interviews set up with Lindsey Scott Jr. Incarnate work quarterback, Walter Payton award finalist. That one should be coming in the coming weeks, either right up till the Walter Payton ceremony, or it might be just after I'm talking with Incarnate Word to get the dates pinned down. But Lindsey Scott Jr. will be on the channel for a live interview. Also, three head coaches are already scheduled. I'm working behind the scenes to get a few more set up. Alonzo Hampton, the new UAPB head coach, will be on the channel possibly next week at the earliest. I'm working on trying to get that interview done this weekend. Um, it just depends. A lot of these coaches are out on the, you know, just getting back from the holidays, getting over uh, early signing day. So going to be working that out. Also new incarnate word head coach, Clint Killu will also be on the channel as well. And also new Townsend head coach, Pete Shinnick will also be on the channel. He is, he was the former head coach over at West Florida, a D2 national champion. I've been really wanting to highlight some new head coaches across the FCS. I'm working on getting, um, Houston Baptist new head coach I'm working on getting some guys from Morgan State and I'm also going to be highlighting some All-Americans on the channel who made my All-American team and get them on the channel to talk about that and we'll also have an interview with Alfonso Graham and Kedrick Whitehead two guys going into the NFL draft from the FCS level we've had Kedrick on before Alfonso Graham was one of my favorite running backs in the MEAC and really all of FCS football and I'm really really excited to get him on the channel and talk about that. But Lindsey Scott Jr., Alonzo Hampton, Clint Killew, and Pete Shinnick are, are four interviews that are confirmed. We're getting those knocked out with, over the next few weeks. There will also be an article written about each interview on the website, thebluebloodspod.com. I really wanted to step this content um, 
up for you guys going into 2023. So getting head coaches for big time interviews, what's the next step? And I got some really, really big guests that I'm working really, really hard on to get behind the scenes for you guys, man. So check those out when those drop. More announcements will be coming on our Twitter, Instagram, and also the community page on the YouTube channel. But let's get right into it, man. Maurice Washington. Uh, like I tweeted, man, this was most of the time you can kind of tell who's going to declare for the draft. I, I feel like everyone kind of has a good pulse on it. But in a really shocking decision, Maurice Washington, according to Grambling's recruiting page on Twitter, has announced that he's going to go into the NFL draft this past season. Averaged almost 10 yards per carry, put up about 600 yards, seven touchdowns this season for the Tigers. I want to know in the chat, you can call in as well. Do you guys agree with this? Because I can see I can see both sides of it because I think everyone understands that he's an NFL talent. He has the potential. He has the explosiveness. He has the athleticism, the ability to play at the next level. I don't think that I don't think that's being called into question. It's just with the situation that transpired in Nebraska, you only have one year of production to show after that. And it was kind of it was marred with injuries and marred with coaches not giving him the football. When he had the ball in in his hands, it was electric. But did he do enough to garner a selection in the what 260 plus picks in the NFL draft? That's my biggest question because the sad truth of the matter for me covering FCS football is FCS players have to do probably five or six times more than the average power five player. It's a much tougher road to get to the NFL from the FCS. We've seen Eric Berrier, Cole Kelly. We've seen, we've seen a whole list of people rack up all the American awards, rack up yards, statistics, um, accolades, play on the biggest stage in, in national championships and conference championships and, and whatever against FBS teams during the regular season. But it's just I, I don't know if a guy who had less than 600 yards rushing one year at Grambling State who had a losing record last year is enough to get him an opportunity. Now, I do think his testing is going to be off the chart. But the odds of him getting a combine invite are almost zero. I mean, James, if I'm not mistaken, James Houston didn't even get a combine invite last year. So Maurice Washington is going to get a combine invite. Now, the flip side that I have heard, because Twitter went berserk when I tweeted this out, is that there has to be some sort of underlying issue with his family, with the potential OC hire Grambling that he didn't agree with or I wonder what, because if you don't know, players can submit themselves into the NFL draft evaluation um, portal or whatever, get a draft grade back before they make their decision. I wanted, I, I wonder if he got a higher grade that he was expecting or that we even know about. That's the only things I could think of. I mean, there has to be some sort of external factor that's driving this decision. And that brings me to the potential OC. I didn't really make a slide for it because it's not a lot of information, but I, I don't un is it that he doesn't think the OC is going to use him correctly? That's a potential. I know Scotty and, and some other people tweet out Kevin Sumlin and then kind of backed off of that. You know, Kevin Sumlin would be a big-time hire, but he's kind of a pass-first offensive coordinator 
We know Hugh Jackson is a former quarterback coach, likes to air the ball out. I wonder if he just didn't think Grambling was going to utilize him enough and he was going to take his chances as an undrafted free agent to try to get on a roster. The one question I have about the OC hire, even outside of the Maurice Washington decision, is your strength of the team is in the offensive line and the running back room. Whoever you hire has to commit to running the football next season. Every single time Grambling committed to running the football, they had success, and they had a great chance to win the game or they won the game. Every time they tried to put the ball in the quarterback's hands and not run the football effectively, they lost the game or the momentum swung like in the Bayou Classic. I just uh, – th- this decision makes no sense to me, although the Grambling offensive coordinator thing, a lot, I see a lot of excitement, but not a lot of tangible evidence of who they're going to hire yet. Um, I just I, – I really hope this kid succeeds. I thought – coming back into 2023, I thought he was probably going to be one of the top running backs in the SWAC. And if they used him correctly, he had he, he had a chance to be an all-conference player, an all-American player, even potential-wise. But I, I don't see it. And I know some people are going to say his athleticism is enough, but I thought he needed more time. I thought another year in the system would have done him well. If he comes back, runs for 1,000, 1,500 yards, we could, we could be having a different conversation. But also – it, we're at the point now. He declared early. He's not even eligible, according to um, according to Emory Hunt and Stan Becton of NCAA.com and CBS Sports, because he declared early and he's not a senior. I don't even think he's eligible for postseason All Star games. Can't go to the Senior Bowl. He potentially, if I don't know what the Legacy Bowl rules are, he potentially couldn't even go to the Legacy Bowl. So he might not even get another game this off season to to show his skill set, which further makes this decision questionable. So I'm just hoping that he got the right advice that this wasn't just a off-the-cuff type move and, and that he really and truly got some good advice because, to me, this is a worrisome move, and I don't see this working out in the long run. I mean, undrafted guys can turn out to be superstars. I get it. But, man, you're betting on yourself a lot because now you're fighting for a roster spot rather than having a few years guaranteed to grow into the NFL system. To be an undrafted free agent, you have to be a dog. And I believe he can withdraw his decision. I saw two questions. Um, I believe you can withdraw as long as he doesn't sign with an agent. If he signs with an agent going into the draft, I I believe he he cannot come back once he signs with an agent, man. But let me get to this call right here. Three, four, three, eight, you're live. What's up, man? So he could come back as long as he doesn't sign officially with an agent. Once you sign with an agent, your eligibility is up. So I don't know if there's a deadline for it. And I... The deadline sometime in January, if I'm not mistaken. You have to make a decision. Well, one second. Hang on. I, I don't think they can hear you. One second. Okay, my bad. Okay. Can you hear me now? Well, yeah, you should be good now. Um, well, hang on. Hang on. I'm going to close this down real quick. And I'll call back real quick, Musa. I had to close this down. My bad, guys. My computer reset and everything went AWOL. 
You are the only participant uh, in the conference. Let me know if y'all heard that. Did y'all hear the participant thing? Just let me know. Um, Musa, call back, man. My bad. That was on me. But yes, he. Um, so Musa's question was what S class asked is that could he come back and, and redo his decision he, as long as he doesn't sign with an agent? And if I'm not mistaken, there's a deadline in mid January that you have to decide whether you're going to the draft or not. Um, so, okay. So y'all heard that. We're good. You, you can call back Musa, man. I'll, I'll take your call immediately. But um, moving on real quick Mississippi Valley State hires a new head coach. Kendrick Wade, the press conference will be, if I'm not mistaken, January 11th. Um, January 11th, they're supposed to introduce it at the gym, I believe. They're going to have a live press conference, all that good stuff, man. So Valley finds their guy. And here comes Musa back right now, man. I'm going to get to Musa. Hey, that's, that's not my place. Hey, you're live again, man. That's my bad. This is all good. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, you're good. Loud okay. and clear. Okay. Yeah, no, I was just calling to see about the uh, withdrawing from the draft before a deadline or, like, you, you were saying something about an agent. Like, can he go back into college eligibility? I think he got, like, two years left, too, if I'm not mistaken. I believe he does, and that's the reason that some of the postseason all-star games are in question. But, uh, like I was saying, one, he can't sign with an agent, and there's a deadline in mid-January that you have to declare either for the draft or coming back. Like, this isn't a thing where – he can drag this on into February, March, April and not get drafted or not have the interest and come back. You have to you have to make a choice by January and you can't sign with an agent. Okay, so if if he just set out like say what is like basically the beginning of January. But like yeah, that, he's, is there is it early January or like I think it's I think it's right about mid January, probably right around the fifteenth or so. It changes every year. I know a few years ago it was right around the fifteenth they had to decide. Yeah, it makes sense. That's like all the bowl games and stuff. So, I, I mean, I, I don't. You said they posted this on the official Grambling page. Yeah, the recruiting page. Yeah, I don't. That's somebody should have talked them out of this, man. That's that's a bad move right there. Bad. If move. if he was Power Five playing in the SEC or whatever, guys with those type of production and quote-unquote potential time. But the problem for me is historically FCS guys have to do 10 times more than Power 5 guys do to get drafted. And you're really and truly taking a huge risk on yourself as an undrafted free agent, a late-round pick, to earn a roster, pot, a roster spot somehow. And I just don't feel like that's in the – for me, I'm a stats guy. Percentage-wise, yeah. that's not your best option, in my opinion. You, what was the last word you just said? I said, I don't think it was, in my opinion, I don't think it was the best option for him because statistically, your odds aren't great. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Because um, I heard it was either you or somebody was saying about athleticism. At that level, everybody has that athleticism. Like, I told people that in college, like, there's no point to say, yeah, I went off state. Everybody here is the man from where they come from, so you can't use that as, like, a big up. Like, that's just the standard. So, in this situation, those stats are incredible, but that's, like, for um, – I'm trying to think even the situation because in high school, I mean, you see stats like that, like big averages on yards per carry, but they, they want to see – it's so much more. They look into injury prone, your um, carries. They want to see if you're durable. I mean, it's a different game now, so maybe a system is more pass-heavy, but it's one year – 
of having a full season is like it's not enough. And I feel like that would next year would have been like the perfect situation for him because now, you know, he's more settled. He's he's already going to be the premier back. Like they now coming in the season, they know he's like the starter, the guy. So, and then the swag is getting more attention. So I don't know. I just just it don't make sense. Like I mean, I, I hope somebody trying to talk to the kid because. He has a shot. Like, I think he actually has a shot to get drafted if somebody is from the swag, like a running back, and then Jarvion Howard. But it just, you know, he just needs more on film. And, you know, I think his numbers add up. It's just he, he needs a solid season of him being, like, consistent. So, I don't know. I think it's unfortunate, man. It is. And I, I, I'm really waiting for me. The the piece, the kind of hidden piece for me is who Grambling is hiring as the OC. There's been a lot of rumors out there, a lot of excitement when they hire him, I'm really interested to see the scheme that he runs because maybe Washington felt like that scheme wasn't for him and he'd rather take his chances. And it's unlikely, but that's the only that's the only other piece that would make sense to me for why you would declare because he might just not want to get back in the transfer portal, take his chances there. He might just say, I know I'm that good. I'm going to go to the draft. If I don't get drafted, I can earn my roster spot. But it just seems like a, a very – uncalculated risk i'll say yeah for sure i mean the kenny kenny um i mean i, I understand because i transferred once but I, I get the transfer thing but even still it would you, you might as well transfer because at least you have a shot to, i mean if he like i I was hoping that he didn't transfer this offseason but if he, if that was his angle like i don't like the system or whatever like it still makes sense to transfer because it gives you an, another shot to put more tape i mean more good footage on film so if he if he does this, can he even do pro days? Like, can he can he he or he can't be invited to com- he, combine? He won't, no he won't be invited to the combine. Right There's a lot of postseason games that he's not old enough or anything like that to qualify for. The only thing he possibly could do is the pro day at Grambling, and that's it. And we we probably not going to get that many anyway. Like compared to other you know, more um, hotter brands right now. Cause I feel like, I mean, a lot of people criticize, but I feel like Hugh Jackson is building something. It's a slow burn. It ain't like a Dion effect. But, um, you know, it's more pragmatic. Like, the NFL approach, like, is more slower. But it, I don't know, man. It's, it's up for, I hope somebody is able to get in his air, maybe somebody in his family or something. But, you know, you do got potential, but you can't use athleticism. Like, that's the bare minimum. Like, you got to have athleticism and skill positions at the league. So, I don't know. I'll, I'll be up to date, man. But oh, last thing, I was just going to ask you this before I punch out. What one? What scheme? Because I couldn't get a handle. What scheme would you call what Grambling ran this year offense? And going into twenty twenty three, what do you think they should be looking for based on their players' personnel? I think okay. So last year it was really hard to kind of pin down what they wanted to do with all the quarterback right. changes. To be honest with you, so they really I think Hugh had to really simplify his scheme because if you go back and look at Hugh Jackson. At, during his USC days, it was a lot of downfield, stretching the field, passing. Like, he'd like mm-hmm. to take his shots. I don't think he had a quarterback this year to do that. He had to kind of run like an RPO-type scheme where he had a lot of athletes, and you had to put them in space and go make plays because your quarterback was a weakness. The thing that shocked me with Hugh is that he would ne- never commit to running the football because when you look at that roster, you have questions at quarterback, and then when you benched, um, what was it, Hawkins, you had a true freshman quarterback, you had a really strong right. offensive line, and Rash was your only real threat at wide receiver. The obvious thing, someone who has never watched football before would say, 
you better run the football. That's that's how you help out a young quarterback who's trying to fit into the system. That's how you make up depth and explosiveness at wide receiver is you make people commit to the box, take advantage of the numbers downfield, go deep and get some get some uh, more favorable matchups. I don't feel like Grambling did that. I feel like Hugh last year, the reason he's getting a new OC is that he wants to probably take a step back into a CEO role and let the OC right. call the place. Because last year with the whole Art Browse thing, I felt like they were behind the eight ball and Hugh had to take a much bigger role in play calling and offensive development than he wanted to initially his first year as head coach. Yeah, it kind of seemed like it on the sidelines. Like you could see him being like frustrated a lot by the play calls. Like, it, it, I don't know. It it seemed like a, like a lot of times it was like he wasn't in lieu of what the the program. I mean, what the um the installs was for the week. Like he kind of you know what I mean. And for me, he, he's an offensive dude, so it seemed like coming from the NFL, like why is there such a like not uh, fluidness in the play calling? Like it just seemed like it was just disorganized. So I think this year it'd be a whole lot better because he got more time to prep for it. So we'll see. Hopefully they get somebody that's uh, got a good um strategy coming in. Hey, for sure, man. Hey, I appreciate you calling in, man. Appreciate it. And I do think the higher you're going to see more chemistry between Hugh and whoever he hires. But moving on back to Valley, man, announced that Kendrick Wade is the new head coach. I know there was a lot of of talk surrounding who was going to be the head coach here. Now, with, with Valley making this hire, there's only two FCS programs that do not have head coaches for next season. One is Central Connecticut State, and the other is North Carolina A&T. Those are the only two FCS programs who have not made a head coaching hire this offseason and are the only two without a head coach locked in place, which, you know, we'll get to the A&T one here in a minute, but – for people who don't, I know there's some people who probably still don't know a lot about Kendrick Wade. He's been the Valley wide receiving coach. He's, he's coached at Briarcliff, coached at Fort Valley State. Uh, most recently was the Delta State wide receiving coach this past season. He was a former Valley wide receiver, won the most outstanding wide receiver award on the team in 04, set the school record also for the longest receiving touchdown, 82 yards versus Grambling, was named to the MVSU All-Decade team for t- 2000 to 2010 and some of the big things were is he did develop some all swag wide receivers during his two years at valley and everyone knows the name as shamar bridges from fort valley state was a was a guy who was coached one-on-one with kendrick wade and he he played a large role in shamar bridges making that jump to the nfl at the ravens and i think that's something that it can't be overlooked is his ability to develop talent. The one thing, listen, I've, everyone, including myself, has talked about how behind the eight ball the head coach for Mississippi Valley State is going to be. I mean, it is going to take a tremendous effort just to get the program back to competitiveness in, in that division. When you look at the division where Jackson is, where FAMU is, where Alabama State is, where Bethune possibly could be with Ed Reed, it is going to take a you're going to need a legendary effort to get that to get this program back in contention, especially with Connell Maynard, even at Alabama A&M in that division. Kendrick Wade is a guy who I think has has he's needed an opportunity. He's an alum, so he's he's familiar with the 
behind the scenes, familiar with the community, familiar with the university. And I think he's going to be as motivated as anyone to get this program turned back around, especially when he was even having success at this university back in the mid 2000s. You have to develop talent if you're Valley. You're not going to get five stars. You're not going to get four stars. Hell, you probably aren't even going to get a lot of three stars. You have to find the diamonds in the rough in Juco. You have to find the diamonds in the rough who got overlooked on the high school circuit, and you're going to have to bring those guys in and turn them into real players. And that's that's something that Kendrick Wade has done throughout his career. And I, I think a lot of got, people I've talked from Valley are really, really excited to see what this hire could be. Seven eight four four, you're live. Blue, what's up? What's hey. up, man? <clears throat> Blue, I got two quick questions, man. I wanted to ask your opinion because I had—I don't know if I missed it or didn't hear. You. What do you think about the potential hire on the, the OC at Jackson State? The guy coming from Liberty—I I, I thought that move was a freeze offense, but maybe he was running the show. Do you know anything about it? Okay, so you're talking about Maurice Harris. Um, and I'll go ahead and address this. But he was a co-offensive coordinator um, with, I'm blanking on the, I think his name was Ken Austin. They were co-OCs under Hugh Freeze. Ken Austin went with Hugh Freeze to Auburn and is going to be, I believe, the quarterback coach for Auburn. Uh, Maurice Harris was probably not going to be kept in Jamie Chadwell's new staff, so he was probably looking for an opportunity. He is an up-and-comer, man. He's a hell of a recruiter, and he does a great job at fitting his system around the players, and he has a storied, a long experience history. If Jackson, if that, if everything that I've heard is confirmed, that's going to be a hell of a hire, and I think TC is going to be able to step back into more of a CEO role because Maurice Harris has the experience and the talent that TC doesn't even need his hands involved in the offensive system. Does he does he run a more up tempo scheme like uh, yeah Freed, I mean he up tempo spread yeah he does I mean he comes from the Hugh Freeze Gus Malzahn that type of coaching tree I mean it's the spread it's you kind of like you're gonna have four or five plays that look exactly the same they're gonna do different things they're gonna be fast paced they're gonna they want to get their athletes out there and they want you, they just want to out athlete you. And that's what they're going to do, man. Especially if you have an athlete at quarterback. And when you look at what Liberty and Maurice has historically been successful with, it's been dual threat guys. And when you look at Phillip short and some of the guys that Jackson has been recruiting the Phillip Hatter or Hatton, whatever his name is, um, both of those guys fit the scheme very, very well. So it all kind of, it, it seems like it's, all making sense on who they're hiring and who they're recruiting at the quarterback spot. Okay. Uh, uh, on short, I've heard a lot about short because uh, I'm here in Jackson. So short has a, a, a really big name around the local area. Everybody thinks he's going to be a good quarterback. But I was looking at Hatter, and when you look at his stats and you go look at some of his games online, man, it looks like the man should be right because he's he putting up gaudy numbers, but he's just playing against poor competition, Blue, or, or do you think he's just going to diamond it and eat in the roof? Because I haven't even heard you talk about him, and I, I know you'd be up on recruits. Uh, I'll, okay, I'll say this. Do you think I, he's just over? I hate to say a kid overhyped. But, he's you know. not overhyped. What happens, and I think anyone who's been around recruiting can speak to this. One, 
a lot of schools do a terrible job scouting, especially a lot of schools not at the highest level of college football. And two, I do think sometimes stats can be overrated. A lot of times talking to coaches, especially at, at the FCS level, they're not necessarily looking at stats, especially at the JUCO level too. They're not really looking at stats, definitely. What they're looking for is physical tools. So what they do is they just look at straight film. They're looking at technique. They're looking at how you fit their system. They're talking to your coaches about your grades. They're talking about how you potentially could fit in the program. It's little things like that. I don't. I think sometimes sometimes people get caught up in the statistics, the accolades. A lot of the times, recruiting, man, that 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 that, that stuff's cool. But at the end of the day, like, are you a ball player? Because it's really hard, especially at the high school level, to compare competition across divisions and across states. Like, how does 7A football in Alabama compare to 2A football in Michigan? How does 4A football in Texas compare to 8A football in Florida? Stuff like that. I think sometimes stats are a little bit overblown. I do think the kid can play. I've watched this film. The kid's a baller. But I do think sometimes as fans and people who aren't involved in the process, we see the stats and wonder why they don't have P5 offers without necessarily looking completely at the film. He, he just looked like he may could be a uh, – he, he looked like he could be a diamond. But like I said, uh, the guy, I know a lot of people saying that because, you know, um, because of – the, the guy that stats there, like, oh, he's going to come in and do this. But the guy is short. Man, everybody around here believe he's a real deal. That's all I've ever heard from coaches. Uh, everybody who's ever seen him play, they all say he's a real deal for the spread. Let me let me say that. For the spread out there. Not just not that he should do it, but he's an excellent talent for the spread out there because he's excelled in every way he's been. And, but that's, that's all right. I had. Hey, appreciate you, Matt. All right. And I love talking recruit. It's my favorite time of the year. I don't know if y'all know that, man. I am all for recruiting. Uh, I, I can't get enough of it. Uh, but we got we, we got Corey Johnson. I know he's a Valley guy. He said Wade is perfect for the job. I agree. I. It's a situation at Valley. I'll be honest. I do not think a celebrity hire is the move for Valley, man. I don't think a celebrity hire can fix it. I don't, man. You're, you're going to need a real football coach that can really develop talent to come in here and and coach. Uh, I, I love the hire. You've got to get an alum that knows, knows the landscape of what they're going to have to deal with at Valley. And he's coached at lower levels too, and he's developed talent that was – under-recruited into NFL potential, all-conference potential. I love the Kendrick Wade hire, man. I think Valley knocked this one out of the park. They took they took their time, and and they and they made the they made the right call here. Let me let me get to Mister Ford here before we move on to A and T. Mister Ford, you're live. Hey, go. On. Let me turn this thing down. Okay, I wanted to uh, first of all. Offer uh, congratulations to that's Coach Wade, right? Yes. It? Yeah. yeah, Coach Wade. Yes. Now we actually saw him in action. My, I got relatives that finished um, Fort Valley State. That kid you talking about, that Bridges kid? Would you call him Tremaine? Would you call Tremaine Bridges? Uh, Shamar, 
Shamar Bridges. Shamar Bridges. That boy was the truth. I saw him. We saw him down in Columbus. And because uh, they all been in the state in Fort Valley plays every year at something called the Fountain City Classic. Now, did that kid make – I know he was with the Ravens. Did he make the team or he on the practice squad? Where is he? I think he's still with the Ravens, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if he's practice squad or or, tr- or travel squad or anything like that, but I, I do believe he's still with the Ravens because he was one of the top receivers in the preseason. Yeah, I, I was about to tell you. Now, he can play. Uh, if, he, if he didn't make the traveling squad this year, he'll make it next year. Now, he actually was from the state of Florida. I'm not sure. I don't know if he was Tampa or – Somebody needs to look it up. But he was from Florida. And when we saw him at Fort Valley, we said, you know what? This is a big time right here. And uh, I think this Coach Wade is the right person for Mississippi Valley. I'm, I'm happy for him, and I hope he does well. Uh, this is the thing I call you for. I, was it you put up there by – they said that it's between Mayna, Vincent Brown, and somebody said Gibbs at Fort Valley, and then they said uh, – Jim Caldwell, to me, that, that is, Jim Caldwell should be the man. Jim Caldwell, didn't he, did he, didn't he go to the Super Bowl? He's won two and been to three. Yeah, because he's with the Colts or something, right? Wasn't he under Tony Dungy? Yeah, he, he won with the Colts, um, and then he won with the – oh, I'm blanking on the other team that he won with. But then he lost one as a head coach when he went with, I believe it was – hang on, I, I got his – I got this thing right here. I'm just going to go ahead and skip forward here. Um, yeah, he, he he went with the Colts to a Super Bowl appearance. And right. then, he, then when, at the Lions, he took them to the playoffs twice. Right. Because, see, I remember when he was the head coach at Wake Forest, and I remember when he worked for Joe Paterno. So what I'm trying to say is they don't have enough sense to know that, 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 that it should be uh, Jim Caldwell. What, what are we waiting on? Okay, so um, I got we got corrected. So he he won, uh, he won with the Ravens too. He was an assistant on the Ravens the year they won. Right, I remember Brian. What was that coach's name? Brian something. Um, no, uh, it was uh Harbaugh. Harbaugh, okay. So yeah, he won the one in New Orleans. Um, no, uh, yeah, I believe he was on that staff. The year he oh, lost was the year yeah. Peyton Manning lost to Drew Brees and the Saints. Okay, okay, yeah, I remember that. I remember that too. But listen, when you got a chance to get a Jim Caldwell, to me that that's a no that's a no brainer. You know that's a no brainer. Now you talk you you get a chance to get Jim Caldwell, please. But, I, I think uh, I think the holdup with Caldwell is uh-huh. you know he's interviewed for the job, he's expressed interest. I think the ball's really in his court. It's going to come down to how bad he really wants it. I think that's the holdup there. It's not that A and T is holding off on him to interview other candidates. I just don't think he's committed to the job yet. Oh, okay. 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 All right. But I was just saying now, if he committed, the job should be his. Because who else brings them kind of uh, credentials to the table like a Jim Caldwell? Now, I, mean, I wish I'm we had you. him in the swag. I, I would say for, I'm, I might be a little biased because I really, really like him as a coach. Uh, Jim Caldwell's a game changer, but if you don't go him, I don't understand how you don't give the job to Vincent Brown. He's he's deserved a head coaching job five years ago. I don't understand right. how he hasn't been a head coach right. before. Yeah, he was uh, a favorite of uh, Bill Parcells, I think, when he was with the New England Patriots. Yeah, he was a three-time All-Pro for the Patriots. Right, that's right. 
He's from Atlanta. I saw him when he was in high school. He went to a high school called George Walter F. George High School. Yeah, I saw him. He he was um I tell you who recruited him. Uh the guy who was um he was Jerry Rice and Willie Totten's coach. He came here and got him. Uh they called him the gunslinger, Cooley. Cooley mm-hmm. took him from Atlanta down to Mississippi Valley. That's how he ended up in Mississippi Valley. And he was like a three-time All-Conference, two-time All-American, and was a second-round yeah. pick out of Valley? Mm-hmm. And, and wasn't he the, didn't he work at University of Virginia? And that, did yeah. he, was he on that staff when uh, Mike London won that FCS championship in yes. Richmond? Was, yeah, he, he was, was on, on the 08, 08 National Championship team, too. That's right. Yeah, I remember him. And he was at Howard, too. He yes. was at Howard with Mike London. He's been with Mike all the way since Richmond, pretty much. Since 08, right. he's been he, – because he started out for London as the D-line coach, and then he kind of went up to D.C., and he's been the D.C. slash associate head coach for, like, the last three stops, which is – and they've had success everywhere they've been, which usually that leads to a head coaching job. So it's really surprising to me that no one's pulled the, the trigger on them yet because – in my opinion, if it was anybody else, they would have been a head coach already. I I, yeah, I know yeah. William and Mary doesn't want to lose him, but he's the guy. And the only thing I could think of is is if London leaves or does something like that, they already have um they already have something in place where Vincent Brown's gonna be the next head coach at William and Mary. Well, let me say this to Elvin Price. Now I'm not trying to compete with Blue, but I'll compete against you. How about that? <laughs> Now, Blue no, know no more than I know, but I, but I tell you what, Elvin, Elvin, I bet you I know more than you know. How about that? Okay. I'll go against you, Elvin. But let me say this, Blue. When uh, Cooler would come to Atlanta, I remember he went to that boy's school. He went, I'm not that boy, but he went to Vincent uh, Brown School. He went in and recruited. He didn't go and get one and one or two of the players. He took something like 17 or 18 players from that one school back to uh Mississippi Valley. That's what he did. I, man, like, I really, I just want Wade to be successful, man. I, I've talked to some people who know him personally, and mm-hmm. they just, they said he's such a good guy. He loves Valley, and I just want him to succeed. Like, I was talking to some people last night. I'm not a, like, I'm not rooting for anybody, man. I'm just part of the media, so I don't really try to pick too many favorites, but nothing would make me happier than Valley winning the SWAC in the coming years. That would be legendary. Ooh, but, but let me tell you something. The, the only thing, and now you know how football is. Valley has one of the lowest budgets in the SWAC. I think what they the got, lowest. Like three million? What no, they got, they, two million or two they, million? Three they million. have the lowest budget in the entire FCS. That's what I thought, yeah. And football is a money sport. You got to have money. By three million. They have the lowest yeah, budget by like three or four million in the FCS. Yeah. Because, see, I remember when – and and this is now this was great. Jay Hobson and then it was Fred McNair, they only had four or five million and they were dominating the swag. They were dominating the swag and they had a, a athletic budget of about four to five million dollars. Now I don't know what what is that Alcorn's budget now? I think it's went up a little bit. I think it's probably somewhere around five or six still, but I think about it's a, I think it's a little bit higher. Well, let me ask you to my last question. What about uh, what about uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff? What's their budget? I need to look that up. Ooh, 
One time I know. think it was seven million, wasn't it? Theirs is higher than people would expect. I know yeah, that. Yeah, because it was higher than Alcorn. Because if I'm not mistaken, PV has the highest budget in the SWAC. Yeah, if I'm not they got mistaken. the highest budget. And then, right at one time, they were spending 19 million. That's that's more, man. That's that's more than some upper level FCS teams. Yeah, and and uh, let me see. Now, one time, Alabama State was 12 million. Alabama A&M was 12 million, and I think Texas Southern was at 12 million. Yeah, that's that that's intense because I know I was doing some research last night. Um, I got to, I don't have my notebook in here, but I was looking at football budgets from 2021 and some of the highest in the FCS. And there's football budgets in the FCS that are four times higher than Valley's total athletic budget. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I think you know, if you go back and do the history, Valley is the youngest SWAC school. That school was started in 1950. I, I need to go check that, but it's the youngest of all of the. Uh, SWAC schools. I think Prairie View might be the oldest. Prairie View is the second oldest school in Texas. The oldest school in Texas is is it the Texas A and M? I think in Texas A and M, the oldest school in Texas. Yes, I believe so. And then it's the second oldest school is Prairie View. That that's the only reason that blows my mind that they're not consistently winning the SWAC. You're in Texas. You spend. Yeah three times more than the average team in your conference and you're not running through the conference? Well, I'm going to say this, like I keep telling people, see, when your president does not have a commitment to athletics, that holds you back. Now, I tell everybody, her name was Dr. Ruth Simmons. She was a brilliant woman. She was the uh, president of uh, Prairie View when they brought in Eric Dooley. But here's the thing. She didn't give two dead flies about no athletics, okay? And so that's why Dooley was able to get away with a mediocre record of 20 and 17 because she didn't care about it, even though they had all that money out there. But that's what you have to understand about it. See, if you're president, see, like I tell people about FAMU, see, the biggest problem Willie Simmons got is his president, okay? Because his president is not committed. We don't know what that girl, they're getting a new female uh, athletic director, I think it's Tiffany Don Sykes. We don't know what she know. We got to see what she know. Okay? All right, but Blue, I ain't going to hog the line. Let me let it let it go. Hey, I, I appreciate you, man. I will say, I, I have talked to, because if I'm not mistaken, South Carolina State and uh-huh. um, FAMU both got new or newer athletic directors. Who uh, one's Tiffany Dawn Sykes and I'm it's Doctor something for South Carolina State. They yeah. seem to be really in tune. And Tiffany was up at Dartmouth, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's and, right. That's right. And Dartmouth had a legit athletic program. I'll say that for Ivy League schools, they are legit and they have consistently competed for the Ivy League championship year in and year out. While she was there, she's yeah. on athletics, and I don't think she would. In my opinion, I don't think she would let athletics fall by the wayside. And listen, uh, you know, remember Calvin Hill? He was uh, – Calvin was uh, Yale. That guy, uh, Fitzpatrick, he was Harvard. We've had some good players to come out of that Ivy League now. We, we've had some good players. But I remember Calvin Hill. Calvin Hill came out of Yale, I believe. I, I need to go look that up. I think. You, you remember Calvin Hill? 
yeah, the name sounds very, very familiar. That's Grant Hill's daddy. Uh, Calvin played for the Dallas Cowboys, and once he left the Dallas Cowboys, he was big-time rookie of the year, I think, out there, and then he went to the Cleveland Browns. But Grant, that's Grant Hill's father. Now, Grant Hill's mother, she was roommates at a place called Smith College with Hillary Clinton. She was from New Orleans. Uh, I want to say Green Bay. Was it Green? Uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Hillary came from Chicago. Listen, I'm going to let it go because I know there's it, other people on there. Hey, appreciate you here. Hey, appreciate you, Mr. Ford. Okay, have a good night. Also, I looked up. I know Mr. Ford just hopped off the line. Um, I just looked it up. PV is spending all, uh, is spending all pretty much the FCS average on just football. So PV spending almost uh, a little over three million dollars just on football as of 2021. The FCS average is like 3.3 or 3.4. Uh, so PV is right there in terms of average spending for the FCS. And just in football and in terms of total athletic budget, man, they are up there. So I, I need PV to go. I, I need I need PV to get up there and win. Uh, we have a new president. She has to hire an AD, so we'll see if she cares about football. She already lowered the GPA for athletics. I want to get out there and see the facilities. I've seen I've seen all the pictures and, and videos and everything of all the athletic facilities. I really want to get out there and see PV this year. That's a trip I want to make. Now, I will say – my number one stadium I have to make it to in 2023 is FAMU. I don't know how I went through the whole season without coming to FAMU, but that's got to change. I got to be at FAMU next year. Uh, so I already, I've already been talking to Josh, uh, the SID over at FAMU. Uh, we, we're going to make a FAMU game. I still, <laughs> I know Mr. Campbell and Kofi and all my FAMU guys and, and, and Dwayne and everyone in here are like, man, how have you not made it to FAM? I will be in Tallahassee. And I even got family in Tallahassee, so there is uh, no excuse for me not to be in Tallahassee next year. But man, shout out to shout out to uh, Kendrick Wade for being named the new head coach at uh, Mississippi Valley State. Love the hire, and I'm really really hoping he can turn Valley around and, and make them competitive again in, in the SWAC. Now, a, a lot of people have hit me up for this. A lot of people have hit me up for this, man. I wanted to highlight some of the top transfers. And the transfer portal. Everyone's been hitting me up like blue. I need you to. I need you to let me know who's in the portal. I need you to give me the latest. I, I, I picked about six guys who I think are the top FCS transfers in the portal, and a few of the, these guys announced today. The first one, out of nowhere, I'm still in shock that this guy transferred. I texted uh, my guy Jimmy Beal, the running back coach at Montana State, and they just said he was looking for a fresh start. They said it, it, it was a kind of a it was a peaceful transfer, I guess, and he he just wanted to try his hand somewhere else. And Isaiah Fonzi is the all-time leading rusher in Montana State history, is a first-team FCS All-American, multiple-time Big Sky All-Conference selection, is, in my opinion, when healthy, is the best running back at the FCS level. Just enter the transfer portal today. Isaiah Fonzi is a guy that if you guys want it, listen, so I'm telling you these so you guys can hit them up for your school and know what's going on. Isaiah Fonzi is that guy, and he's already said in an interview with um, 406 Mountain Sports that he he's really not necessarily he don't he doesn't really care about the FCS level or the FBS level. He said he's fine if he finds a perfect landing spot in the FCS. So Isaiah Fonzi in the transfer portal. Corey Bullock also really shocked me. 
It was one of the first transfers out of North Carolina Central this year. He's a two-time MEAC All-Conference selection, both times first team. A box-to-row HBCU All-American selection was a Celebration Bowl champion this year. I, I, everyone knows how I feel. If you're a member, that uh, that members-only uh, film breakdown of the Celebration Bowl is coming, you're going to see why I love Corey Bullock. I think he was one of the top offensive linemen, probably a top-five offensive lineman in HBCU football. He was considered for the All-American list for me. Corey Bullock is that guy. I would not be surprised if he goes FBS. I've had a people... I've had a few people reach out to me and say there's some FBS schools already expressing interest, Maryland and some other ones. So stay tuned on that. But I would love to see him stay at the FCS level and come out and be an All-American next year because he is that guy and he is an NFL talent. And I was really hoping he stayed at Central and was the next great offensive lineman out of there. Um, Anton Williams out of Austin P. It was an FCS All-American this year. First time ASUN All-Conference selection for me. Phil Still for Hero Sports for everyone who does a who does all conference teams. He was a consensus a first team A Sun selection. Has three years of eligibility remaining too, which is key. Bullock and Afonzi only have one year remaining. Anton Williams out of Austin P has three years of eligibility remaining. So you, this is the guy who could come in immediately, start, and offer multiple years of production at whatever university he decides to go to. So I, I love Antoine's game. He's a very, very rangy athletic linebacker, can play multiple spots of, of, in the front seven, can rush the passer really well, and is, does a great job at forcing turnovers. I think Antoine Williams is going to land somewhere really nice, and he is a huge addition for any team that could pick him up out of the transfer portal. Now, three guys who have been in here for a little while, but I, I haven't had a chance to highlight them. Elijah Anderson Taylor, me and him are working behind the scenes. He's probably going to come on the show and make his transfer announcement. I know a lot of you guys in the chat who follow me on Twitter have already hit him up. He, he holds offers from all Corn State and some other HBCU schools. He was my big sky defensive player of the year this year, was a second team FCS All-American selection. The kid was all over the field for Northern Colorado. He is a guy who I think could come in immediately and start, has multiple years. I believe he has two years of eligibility left. And Elijah Anderson-Taylor is a guy that I would really look out for in the portal. And he is not afraid to say he's ready to come FCS, has holds a lot of FCS offers along with a handful of FBS. Now, Christy, uh, Christy and uh, I believe it's Christy Kanu out of Southern Utah. He was a first-team WAC all-conference selection. This guy plays guard. He's 6'4", 300 pounds. Had an 84.1 PFF run blocking grade. If you don't know how the PFF grades work, somewhere around 70 is good. 85 and above are, are pretty much elite. So he's he's a legit run blocker. He's a load. Was one of the best offensive linemen in the in the WAC or the WAC this year. I, I would look for I would look for Kanu to probably go FBS if I had to imagine. But I know uh, a lot of people were hitting him up, uh, promoting their schools on Twitter. So look out for it. Uh, and Kanu landing somewhere at a high level, and then finally. I forgot to change his picture, man. My bad, Caleb. But Caleb Culp, I've had him on the show. A lot of Jackson State fans have been hitting him up. I know a lot of HBCU fans have been hitting him up. Played in Incarnate Word is a two-time first-team Southland all-conference selection. In two seasons, I want to repeat this. The stat I'm about to read is in two seasons in Incarnate Word. From the safety spot, he has 195 total tackles in just two seasons from the safety spot. Caleb Colt can play everywhere, man. I've seen this kid play in person. He is legit. 
He also is third all-time in Incarnate Word school history for single-season tackles with way over 100 last season. Caleb Culp is an instant game-changer. Uh, entered the transfer portal after head coach G.J. Kenny took the Texas State job. I, I haven't really been keeping up too much with the offers, but instant game changer at the safety spot, especially if you need someone who is not afraid to come up and make play and on top of that can, can get back and play in coverage and force some turnovers. But 195 career tackles in just two seasons for Incarnate Word. Kid is different. We've had him on the show. You can check out our interview with Caleb. I know there was a few guys who went back and watched it and commented to – that I needed to recruit him to their school, but my guy Caleb's looking for a home, and you can follow all these guys on Twitter and keep up with their recruitment. But those are my top six FCS transfers in the portal right this second. There's been some other big ones, but they're already committed and or have signed somewhere. But we're going to end the show talking about candidates um, for North Carolina A&T's head coaching uh, spot. And we'll start. I wanted to give you all some information. I know there was a lot of talk about a lot of these candidates, but I really wanted to kind of give you all a breakdown of what each of these guys would bring to the spot. Vincent Brown has coached at Virginia, been a linebacker coach at Richmond, a co-DC for UConn for three years, was that was an associate head coach and defensive coordinator at Howard and has, has spent time as the D.C. slash head coach at William & Mary right now, has been there since 2019, and helped William & Mary get all the way all the way to the quarterfinals this year and also set a school record for wins in a season this, this past season under, um, under head coach Mike London. His playing career, everyone knows, man, it's storied. He was a linebacker for Mississippi Valley State back in the mid-80s, was a Kodak All-American selection, a second-team AP All-American selection, three-time SWAC All-Conference, set the, set the school record at the time for career total tackles with 570. That's, that, that, that is a, a, a ridiculous stat. 570 tackles in four years is mine. I mean, that, that dude's averaging like 150 tackles a year. I mean, that is unbelievable. Was a second-round pick out of Valley in the 88 draft. It was a three-time NFL All-Pro selection for the Patriots, three consecutive years from 91 to 93. This would be my pick. Uh, I, you know, I was on Scotty's show last night. As soon as... As Sam Washington was fired, I can go check. I can go check my Twitter and where I announced it. I said Vincent Brown should take this job less than ten minutes after they fire Sam Washington. Vincent Brown would be my pick. CAA experience. He has pretty much been. He he's been preparing for this moment his whole life. He's been successful in terms of developing talent and building strong defenses everywhere he goes, and he's played under one of the best head coaches at the FCS level in Mike London. He has playoff experience. He has he's won a national title at the FCS level. When he was the linebacker coach for Richmond, he won a national title in 2008 with Mike London. He has been that guy. He was successful at Howard. He's been successful at William and Mary. Vincent Brown would be my pick for the North Carolina A&T job right now. That's just that's just how I'm looking at it. I think he has the most relevant experience to what A&T needs. He's he's been able to recruit the area and he's been able to turn some of these guys into monsters. He potentially could have a Buck Buchanan Award winner playing for him this season in John Pius. Nate Lynn was a freshman All-American last season at William and Mary. Was a first-team All-Conference selection this year on the defensive line. Vincent Brown has built strong dominant defenses everywhere he's been and developed guys into all conference, all American players at every stop along the way. 
give me Vincent Brown for the A&T head coaching job, and I'm hoping this is where he goes. But Jim Caldwell, we we all know what it is, man. He, he I put I separated his college from NFL. He's coached at Southern Illinois, coached at Colorado, was a Penn State QB coach, was a head coach at the college level for a while. I don't know if a lot of people remember this. He was the head coach at Wake Forest from '93 to 2000, a 26 and 63 overall record, 12 and 52 in the in conference. Won one bowl game in 1999, which was the Aloha Bowl. Only had one season above 500, which was that seven-win season when they went to the bowl game and won. Didn't have a lot of success at Wake Forest. That's a really, really tough place to succeed, especially at that time. Wake Forest really didn't start clicking to the late 2000s anyway. At the NFL, man, a two-time Super Bowl champion as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, 26-22, and 22, two playoff appearances and a Super Bowl appearance in which he lost to the New Orleans Saints. And it was also the Detroit Lions head coach for a few years where he went 36-28 and 28 with two NFL playoff appearances. So plenty of NFL experience. Has, has head coaching experience at the Power 5 level, has coached at all levels from FCS to P5, from the Big Ten to the Pac-12. He's been around. The experience is, un, is undeniable. It would just be, I think, the, the, like I was talking to Mr. Ford, I think the holdup is the commitment from Caldwell right now. Is Does he want to come back into college coaching? I know some people in the chat were talking about he's been out of coaching for a little while. He is, is getting a little bit up there in age. Does he want the grind of what college football is from the transfer portal to the recruiting trail? It is a 12-month, 365-day-a-year job. In the NFL, you get a little bit of a break. You can take vacations. It's, it's Nick Saban and, and um, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick talk about it all the time is that it's a different lifestyle. Is he ready to commit himself to coaching full time and and building this AT program into a contender in the CAA? That would be my biggest question as well. Is how is is he committed to that grind? And it's he hasn't been a coach since 2000 was his last year at Wake Forest. So many things have changed. Has he been out of it too long to readjust and remold his coaching his coaching style, his recruiting ability, and things like that to match what AT needs to succeed right now at AT? Those would be my biggest questions. Now, the other candidate I know a lot of people are talking about is Connell Maynard. I don't think this is very likely, but hey, uh, there's a lot of rumors he's been interviewing. A lot of he, this this is his <laughs> it's the alma mater. So he's a two time MEAC All Conference selection. There, I mean, he's he's done this. Coached at Fayetteville State as a Q- QB coach. Was the Philadelphia Soul Olds sole offensive coordinator for two seasons went back to Fayetteville State as a QB coach before taking over Winston-Salem everyone knows what it was 45 and 6 three CIAA division titles two championships at the CIAA level the division two national championship appearance in 2012 two-time black college national champion and had a six and three record in the D2 playoffs at his time at Winston-Salem State Hampton didn't go as well 2014 to 2017 had a losing record overall and at Alabama a and right now, 29 and 20 was the 2020 SWAC champions and was the 2020 black college national champion uh, champions due during the COVID season, which is why it's 2020 because it got pushed back to the spring. They beat UAPB. There's no celebration bowl. The MEAC doesn't play. So they are therefore the black college national champions that year. So these are the three choices. I know Gibbs from Fort Valley state um, has also been thrown out there. There's a few other names. I personally haven't heard 
enough to put any of those other names on this list. The three names that I've heard are Jim Caldwell, Kano Maynard, and Vincent Brown. So I want to know. I got to check the poll on my phone because for some reason StreamYard won't let me see it. I want to see who you guys voted for as y'all's pick for who should be the next head coach at North Carolina A&T. I don't even see the poll anymore. Damn. RIP to the poll. But I know Jim Caldwell and <laughs> and uh, Vincent Brown were winning last time I saw it. But I, I, I want to know, listen, call in if you're an A&T fan or just anyone. I really want to hear your opinion. Who should A&T hire and when is the decision going to be made? Like I said earlier, if you're if you're just now tuning in, there's only two FCS programs that have not made a coaching hire yet. North Carolina A&T and Central Connecticut State. No disrespect to CCSU, but that's probably not a school A&T wants to be mentioned in the same sentence as, as schools without head coaches. That is, that's not the place to be. And so I think they got to, they got to make this within the next week. Recruiting's getting behind. And I, I think people are getting a bit restless around the program. You have to make a hire. You can't be the last. FCS program to make a hire this year, unless it's just a superstar hire. I think there's two of them in here. You got to make a move eventually, and I need it by next week. Just in my opinion, you have to make a decision because people are going to start asking questions. There's going to be a lot of noise around the program because I think the firing of Sam Washington, as you saw on the show when I when I when I was doing that one, a lot of people didn't. A lot of people didn't agree with the timing of it. It, it was really weird how they handled the whole situation where he went, he pretty much wins out on the season up until Gardner Webb and has a chance to win the big South, a chance to get to the playoffs. They, they lose that final game and you fire him. I understand the, the season didn't play out necessarily at the beginning, how you wanted it to, but I felt like he, like I said, I felt like he did enough to potentially keep his job. I, I, I didn't necessarily agree with the time. Like, if you were going to make a change, make it the week after the Gardner Webb game, and give yourself some give yourself some time to have a proper coaching search. Instead, you kind of sat on their hands for a handful of weeks after the season ended, and let all these other programs go out and conduct their coaching searches and hire it. And now you're sitting here as the second to last team to make a coaching hire. Now. You got a solid list. You have all guys who have won championships at various levels, has a lot of experience, but I so it just it still doesn't sit right with me on how they conducted it, how they conducted everything here. Because when I'm looking at the candidates, you got a great NFL coach and Jim Caldwell, a lot of great experience. I think it would be a quote unquote splash hire, not really a celebrity hire, but a hell of a hire at the FCS level. You've got a longtime CAA national champion guy who has been he's he's been he's been due for an opportunity and then for me I no offense to Kano Manor I, I love him I can't wait to talk to him at SWAT Media Day this is not this is not a shot at him but it how much of an upgrade is Kano Manor over Sam Washington because I think I, I don't I don't think it's a huge jump up in terms of a of a different tier of head coach. I really don't. I m- maybe I'm missing something, but they both have conference championships. They both have state. They, they both have black college national championships on their resume. 
and they're both connected to the university. It's just as I need an A and T person to maybe clarify this, or or even for an outsider's outsider's perspective like mine. I don't I don't think that's an upgrade. I don't. Maybe I'm missing something, but I don't think Condo Maynard. If you're going to fire Sam Washington, go out and get a big time upgrade. Don't. I feel like it's a lateral hire for me. And I wouldn't say it's a, a huge downgrade, Owen. I don't. I, I think Conor Manor is a solid coach, and he and he and he's an alum and everything like that. But I I I don't understand the risk because Owen, oh, me and you talked about this on the episode where of the firing of Sam Washington. Why do you want to? Why do you want to go through and, and have a new coach and have to build a new culture, a new roster, a new staff? and deal with the challenges of going to another conference. To me, that's just putting too much on your plate. Stick with Sam Washington. Get through a year of the CAA. See where the program is. If you feel like you need to make a move then, then you're good. You're not a new member to the conference. You don't have to figure out the landscape, et cetera. Then you can make a move once you kind of have your footing in the conference. It feels like they're trying to climb multiple hills at once, and it could work. Listen, they could hire a coach and they can go in the CAA and wreak havoc. But statistically, I said earlier, I'm a stats guy. Statistically, it's a lot more likely that there's going to be a lot of chaos surrounding the program and they're not going to probably win very much in the CAA this year. So it, it's almost like they set their program up to fail this year. It was like, hey, we're just going to throw away this year. And I, I I don't think A and T fans are gonna are gonna be too happy about that. And then also on top of that, let's let's flip it before we get before, before I tell y'all to call back in. But what what does that do for the new coach? So from my perspective, you're going to bring a coach in and potentially set him up for a bad season. And then by year two, like let's say he goes, what do you want to give him? Because they'll go to what twelve games the next season on, on in twenty twenty four. Let's just say he goes six and six. Man, if you've got a three and eight season this year, that record's looking real questionable. And A and T fans are probably going to be chanting that he's on the hot seat. Why would you set a? Why would you set your new coach to potentially fail year one and and potentially shrink his lifespan as your head coach? We know what that. We know what the lifespan of an average head coaches in college football now is not much you got two years maybe three if you're lucky at a, at, a, at, a, at a program to build something if you ain't winning by year three you're gone so you're pretty much bringing in a new coach and saying yeah you got two years because the first year we're not setting you up with much there's a lot of transfers out you're losing jacob roberts you're losing um if i'm not mistaken taekwon king's in the portal you're losing um you're losing tootin at running back who's transferred to boston college we're, we're we're losing all these great players and we're expecting you to come in and win in a tougher conference that we didn't win last year. It just, to me, the logic isn't there. And I, I think that's the biggest concern for A&T fans. And that's the biggest concern for me because I think A&T, I don't know if I want to say this, but no offense to Hampton. I have, a, a, I have higher expectations for A&T than I do Hampton. And it's going to be very disappointing if A&T has a Hampton-like year next year, goes into the CAA and goes one and seven in conference, or two and six in conference, and they're getting drugged by Delaware, drugged by William and Mary, and they're not competitive with Richmond, they're not competitive with Maine, 
They're not competitive with, with Stony Brook. They're not competitive with you, Albany. Hell, at this point, when you're looking at roster, are they going to be competitive with Campbell? Because Campbell's because Campbell's going to the CAA too, and they just brought in another number one recruiting class. So it, it it's not getting easier in the CAA, and I I don't feel like AT is taking the proper steps to be competitive. That's just me though, and so Matt, let me let me pull up. Uh, so seven zero one seven seven nine nine five eight five man, I'll be on him probably another fifteen minutes. Uh, no roundtable tonight. Obviously, man, Scotty was traveling for everyone who just um who just tuned in. So I wanted to come live, talk about some of the latest storylines surrounding FCS football, HBCU football, upcoming interviews for everyone who just tuned in. Incarnate Word quarterback Lindsey Scott Jr., probably going to be the Walter Payton winner. New UAPB head coach Alonzo Hampton will be on the show. Um, New Incarnate Word head coach uh, Clint Killew will be on the show. And then Pete Shinnick Townsend's new head coach from West Florida will also be on the show. Maurice Washington in the draft. Many y'all can give y'all's opinion on that. Do you agree with Grambling running back Maurice Washington going to the draft? Kendrick Wade um, hired as the new Valley head coach. Some, some notable transfer portal entries. Isaiah Afonzi, Montana State running back. Corey Bullock from North Carolina Central. Austin P. linebacker Antoine Williams. Elijah Anderson-Taylor out of Northern Colorado. Southern Utah offensive tackle Christy Kanu and Caleb Colt from Incarnate Word. And then the candidates for the North Carolina A&T head coach, Jim Caldwell, Connell Maynard, and Vincent Brown from William & Mary as a defensive coordinator. Man, You can call in, give your thoughts, put it in the chat as well, 701-779-9585. So... Um, the Grambling OC thing, I talked about it briefly. I talked about it with the Maurice Washington thing because there was a lot of rumors it was Kevin Sumlin, and that kind of got knocked knocked down. But what I was told by my Grambling Connect is that they're keeping the name as under, is under, under wraps as possible because they don't want it to leak right now for, some, for, for whatever reason. That, that's fine. But – what I was told is that they're comparing him to Art Browse. They're saying he's Art Browse without the baggage is what multiple people have told me about the offensive coordinator hire. And I've been trying to dig, trying to figure out who that potentially could could be. But like I was talking about earlier, William, what I think is going to happen is that you're going to see Hugh hire somebody with more experience than he had. To, he kind of got forced into. He went for Art Browse. It didn't work. I think he had to, by default, Go and go and hire just the the next big thing, and or, or the next thing on his staff. He didn't really have time to go out and get a big name. I think he's going to get someone with more experience than he had last year because Hugh understands that he can't be dabbling in the offense and run the program as a CEO. He needs to take a step back, trust his offensive coordinator to make the proper play calls, put players in the right position, and and not and and not have to stress. And I think you're going to see someone who has more chemistry with what he wants the team to look like. Last year, like we were talking about with Moose on the phone, there were there, there seemed to be a lot of miscommunication, a lack of chemistry between what he wanted and what the play calling was. I don't think he I don't think he understood I, I don't think he trusted his OC to do the right thing. That won't be the case this year. He went out and got someone that he could trust fully. So I think it's going to be a big name, a lot of experience, someone who runs a very similar system, and someone that Hugh 
is going to be able to trust fully. That's what I'm expecting. And we'll see. I know that I, what I was told is it's going to come in the next week or so. It's probably going to be after the holidays. A lot of a lot of schools don't have full staffs back even because that, even after Christmas break, a lot of people took most of this week off just due to the New Year's holiday. So expect so much. I'm telling you, the week after New Year's is going to be absolutely berserk. There's going to be so much news coming out because there's so many programs that have things planned. Jackson State staff, um, Grambling's OC, it, there's going to be a lot. So A&T's head coach, there's, there's going to be a lot coming. Um, I told you last night he has to win this year. He, he said he understands. <laughs> Sam is way better than Maynard. And that's fair. Uh, if I was Texas, I would have, Well, they didn't fire uh, McKinley. Um, I think if Texas Southern makes a move eventually at head coach, they would take a chance on it would take a chance on someone, but it, they're not gonna fire McKinley after after his kind of turnaround last season. They're gonna they're gonna trust him this year. I, I'll say this if McKinley doesn't win this year, the seat's gonna be on fire. Andrew's back for a third season. You've reloaded at wide receiver. There's a the outside of Drake centers on the offensive line. You're pretty much your whole O line comes back. The, most of the defense comes back. You probably have the best corner in the SWAC and Isaiah Hamilton next year due to Nugget and, and some of these guys leaving. Texas Southern is in must-win mode. And then you even have publications, if I'm not mistaken, a Sports Illustrated picked Texas Southern to win the West next year. They're going to get first-place votes probably by the media at SWAC Media Day to win the West. The expectations are going to be through the roof. If he comes out there, goes 6-5, and five, goes 5-6, five and six, finishes second or lower in the West, he's going to be gone just because the expectations are going to be through the roof. Texas Southern is going to be in the spotlight. It, it's going to be a huge year for Andrew, a huge year for McKinley. They're going to have to get it together. And based on what I've heard, I've talked to some people involved in involved in the play calling. McKinley said that he is going to make sure he's going to be more hands-on with getting Andrew what he needs to run the offense. And so they expect a different offense that fits exactly what Andrew body needs to succeed. I think McKinley knows his best shot to keep this job is to make sure Andrew body goes off and he is going to build an offense, put him in situations to really succeed. So this, this is do or die. He knows that if he doesn't succeed, that the, the media buzz is going to be through the roof with all the expectations. This is a huge, huge must win year for McKinley and Texas Southern. Let me see. I, I saw your DM. Let me see. Let's see. <laughs> so, uh, Quincy, Quincy DM me a thing. Um, Hugh Jackson was congratulating Ed Reed on, on the job. And, and I think this is Quincy's uh, Instagram commented and said, congrats, but right now we need to go beat them on the field. Need more wins. Coach. Let's go. And Hugh Jackson responded to Quincy and said, no doubt. I think we got, I think we got that's the goal. That's, that's great. Quincy. <laughs> that's awesome. No, I mean, it's, it's Grant. I think I see. He said, eh. and that was a JSU alum that wrote that article. Yeah. I think it was, um, I, I think it was Cam that wrote that article. I don't know if Cam's in here, but Cam wrote that article. I think he picked FAMU and Texas Southern to win their division. So it'd be a FAMU Texas Southern SWAC championship, according to Sports Illustrated. Um, 
also, man, I really didn't want to really talk about it. I know I don't know how people feel about it, but I do want to say I, I mentioned it on another channel before the show, and I know there's about 200 of y'all in here, and I don't know how you guys feel about it, but mental health is a big thing for me. And watching the JSU documentary, man, I really don't want to talk about anything other than this. I really don't care to talk about anything else that was in there. Man, to see what DeJean Warren, what, what Nugget went through, off the field mentally really I don't know man it 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 really wanted me I really wanted to come on the channel and address that in some capacity because I I think too many people in today's society especially men don't take care of their their mental enough and ignore it and think they can just handle it by themselves and I think you saw even in the practice film where Nugget was even saying like man I just need I just need a therapist like, man, that that it should have never got to that point, man. Like somebody should have been there, seen that, seen he was struggling, man, and, and really, I'm I'm hoping he got the help he needed because there's too many, too many lives lost due to mental health, man, and, and especially men trying to ignore it and, and think they can handle it on their own. So I just want to say, man, I hope Nugget, if 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 Mister, um, if, <clears throat> if if Nugget's dad's in here, man, I'm hoping he's doing okay because that really. Touch them, and that was an emotional scene. And so, being someone who's who's dealt with their own mental health issues, man, I'm hoping Nugget got the help. And I think I, I really hope anyone who watched that documentary last night understands how important it is to really handle your stuff, man, especially mentally behind the scenes that that, that even someone doesn't know you're struggling, man. So, um, and and Reese made a good point, man. Jaron Williams have had to retire due to mental health last year for Alabama A and M. It's important, man. And so even if you don't have anyone to talk to, man, DM me, DM, I'm, I'm sure Scotty and some of the other people who do this, man, anyone in the chat, you can reach out and if you need someone to talk to. So I just wanted to, I really wanted to address that while I had a full crowd in here because watching that last night, man, that was really important for me to speak on because you could hear the pain in his voice and see the pain in his eyes in a lot of those scenes where you could tell he was really struggling with something off the field. So um, I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, let's, let me get to this phone call here. Nine eight six eight, you're live. Hey, what's going on, Blue? What's good, man? Uh, this is Calvin calling from Jack. Um, couple of couple quick questions. Uh, <coughs> uh, what's your way too early? I know it's not even spring, but way too early. Swag football predicted finish. Oh my god, bro! Um, I think it's way too early, man. <laughs> bro, I mean, you you don't even you have some teams who didn't even sign six players a, a week ago. So you got teams with plenty of um, spots left, and also, man, you got a team. You, you just had a hire today. Oh god! If I had to just go right now, man. I think I'll just do top three for each. I think the East, it'll be FAM, JSU, and Alabama State will probably be my top three if I had to pick it on December 29th when the FCS season hasn't even started but or ended. The national championship is still a week away. But um, I'll just go with that, my top three right now. And the West – God, dog, man. The West is just a bloodbath. I mean, anybody could win it from UAPP to Texas Southern to Southern. I, 
I think in the West right now on December 29th, 2022, I would say Alcorn State would be my winner. Texas Southern second and PV third would be my top three in the West. Okay. Uh, since all the swag coaches have been hired, this still too early to predict, I guess, but who does your opinion is the best coaching hire out of this cycle? Oh, uh, what? So you have, you have Wade, you have Ed Reed, you have, am I, who else am I missing in terms of head coaching hires? You have TC. Is that the only, is that the only swag hires? No, it's supposed to be four, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Alonzo Hampton for UAPB. You're right. Uh damn. I, I would have to say right now, because there's still there's so much unknown with Wade. He's a first time head coach. Alonzo Hampton kind of in the same boat there. It would have to come down to it, it would have to come down to TC or Ed. I, I would give it to Ed right nah, God dog. Just in terms of buzz and potential recruiting, I got to give it to Ed. But I will say the sleeper hire, because last year, um, Eddie Robinson Jr. was the sleeper hire. Everyone overlooked it, and he was the most successful, really, out of all the first-year head coaches. I I know people are going to say Dooley, but I think Eddie Rob had a a better year based on what he had to do. Um, I think Alonzo Hampton could be extremely interesting. Do not sleep on him, man. I think he has a lot of potential. UAPB, if they he gets the right support, could be interesting. And I think in that division, anything can happen. Everyone's beatable in the West. Do not be surprised if Alonzo Hampton sneaks up on everyone. All right, a couple more questions. Excuse me, got a lot of callers. Excuse me. Outside of... Uh, Musa and um, your boy Andrew Body. Um, who was the best quarterback coming into the season? So it was gonna be Body One, Musa Two. <clears throat> oh God! Um, everyone has a new quarterback. Questions, man. Yeah, like I mean, everyone has a new quarterback. <laughs> like, I don't even know who's gonna start for half the teams. I mean, D. Davis would be the obvious choice after that because he'll start for Alabama State. Potentially Miles Crawley, if he wins the Grambling job, uh, would be would be my next one. And A and M hasn't landed anyone at quarterback. Valley, we don't know. Alcorn State, I think Macon would be the next one on the list. It's either Macon or or whoever starts for Jackson out of Phillip Short in Hatton, I think it would be Phillip Short. So I would say I would say Alcorn's quarterback, the kid from Missouri, would be my long-distance third, even though I've never seen him play in the SWAC. Cool. All righty. Um, I'm about to get off here, but this is something I'm going to say. Um, from what I'm seeing right now, I can't knock your predictions. I'm a Jackson fan. I would have Sam number one, two, come out the East. The West, something tell me that uh, I think Southern's going to have a, a sit back here. I, I think they might have like a five or six type season. Um, they haven't addressed the quarterback position. If they lost a couple of linemen, they got running backs. Um, 
They got some key departures on defense. Will you be surprised if Southern finished like a five or six or four or seven? I won't hang up and let you talk, all right? Hey, appreciate, appreciate you, man. That was a good one. Um, oh, God. Um, I wouldn't necessarily be just like floored. It would shock me because I still think they have enough talent overall to stay out of the six and five range. It depends on their out-of-conference scheduling because if they get an NIA, NIA, NAIA school or a D2 school, then yeah, I mean, I, I think they'll get above six and five. But if they schedule difficult out of conference, I wouldn't be super floored. It Southern's potential for me all relies on who they get at quarterback. They have to get a quarterback if they're going to be competitive in, in the West. I, I, I can't trust them to win again just based on the fact I don't know who their quarterback is. I, I think it all depends on the quarterback. And that's the same for Grambling, too. Grambling's expectations all rely on the quarterback all rely and so it's going to come down because right now the I think it's fair to say that all corn potentially because Aaron Allen is also coming back by the way too I think the top three teams right now have to be all corn PV um and Texas Southern I think those are the three best teams because they have the most uh, what do you want to call it like most consistency from last season. You've got Jarvion Howard coming back. you got a lot of the defensive players like Terrence Ellis coming back for Alcorn. Damn, Texas Southern's whole damn roster is pretty much coming back outside of Drake Centers and uh, Tameric Williams. And then for PV, you have a lot of talent coming back as well. And you, and you, land, and you land Caleb Johnson at the running back spot. So I think those are the three best teams right now in the West if I had to put money on it. Now, Southern has landed some solid transfers. It's just I don't know if I don't know what the quarterback spot's gonna be like. And I don't after last season, I don't fully trust uh I don't fully trust Dooley to make the quarterback decision because he completely butchered the situation between Bubba and Bashan McCray last year. So even if he goes out and lands a guy, do you trust him to play him? Because right now I don't. Um so <laughs> No, I, I didn't. Okay, I didn't mean to emphasize it. It was just sometimes I get a little bit tongue tied because I try to talk too fast. My mind's my mind's racing when I'm on the shows, and so I got a little tongue tied. I didn't mean to emphasize it like calling Southern out, but yes, please don't schedule any more of those schools. I'll say that. But um, I, I saw a good question in here too. Um, my top three in the MIAC for next season: easy one and two. I think it's North Carolina Central one, Morgan State number two. Easy one and two. And then I think that third spot is going to come down to South Carolina State and Howard. Those are the two that would come down that third spot, in my opinion. I don't think Norfolk State or Delaware State is ready to compete right now. Um, I would say it's Central, Morgan State, and then like 3A and 3B are South Carolina State and Howard. And I would lean Howard right now just due to consistency at some key positions, especially in, in terms of the line of scrimmage. But it's going to come down to whether South Carolina State finds a quarterback. They're kind of in the same position Southern's in as where they lost some key defensive pieces um, in terms of B.J. Davis and things like that. They don't really have a quarterback, but they have the talent elsewhere. Shaq Davis as well. Um, but I think the top two in the MEAC, easily is Morgan and Central. I think that game is going to determine who wins the MEAC next year. I, I trust Damon Wilson. He's been recruiting his been recruiting his ass off, man. And I think they got a quarterback. I was I was texting with some Morgan people. They sent me some film of some quarterback guys they have. 
that they might have a quarterback next year. And if they have a quarterback and can replace Alfonso Graham at the running back spot, I'm telling you right now, and this this might come as a shock to some people, I really do think – y'all can say what y'all want. The stats don't lie. Morgan State is probably going to have the best secondary in HBCU football next year. They've returned everybody. Um, I believe it's Carl Vlonsky was a top five corner in the FCS this year statistically. They've returned – uh, Javion Morton as well. They 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 returned all those studs on the defense side of the football. On top of landing um the was it Tolan the kid from LSU the former four star. I'm telling you guys, Morgan might not be a good overall team. You know they might not win the MIAC, whatever. Position by position wise in the secondary, they have just as much talent as anybody in HBCU football, and they are, can compete with some of the top FCS teams in terms of pure individual talent in the secondary. You can say what you want. Go check the stats. Go check the roster. On paper, they have a legit secondary, and it rivals anybody you want to put up from any conference in, in HBC football or any team in HBC football you want to put it up against. I'm telling you, they have a squad. They have a, they have a hell of a secondary, man. And that, that shout-out to uh, Damon Wilson for putting that together. I agree, man. Morgan is going to be an issue. Uh, chances of Swat School gets in the playoffs. Um. I can't say right now, Calvin. The the reason I can't say right now, before anybody gets mad, is um, I I got to see the schedules because it's all based on strength of schedule. You have to like for me, I have to see who you play because if you if you go out and play a southern schedule, you're not getting in. But if you go out and play a PV schedule and win, you can get in an Alabama A and M schedule and you win, you can get in. I think it's right now you got to say 50-50, Calvin, just because there's so much up in the air in terms of out of conference. But it's always 50-50 to start the season, and we'll see. And it also depends on who wins um, because I, I still think based on the backlash that was received and how they're revamping the playoff committee over the offseason, if FAMU's in that position again, I don't think they get left out just because the playoff committee is is, is going to say, okay, man, we, we can't do this again. we got to give them a shot. And – I wouldn't be. I would be very surprised. But the problem is, is let's say that second best team is Southern or Grambling, they can't go. Or let's say the second best team is Alabama State, they can't go because of the Turkey Day Classic and the Bayou Classic. Um, that would be the issue, and that's why I say it's fifty-fifty because it just depends on who that second team is and what their schedule looks like, and whether it's one of the three teams that are ineligible or even a fourth team if they play Alabama State on the Turkey Day Classic. I don't know if it switches back to Tuskegee next year. It was UAPB this year, but potentially even a fourth team's not eligible because of that uh, that last week of the season playing there. Oh, let's see. And there, there's there's no there's no SU slander on here, man. See, we're anything about Ray Lewis being in Daytona yesterday. This could be interesting. Uh, I I I can I can <laughs> can neither confirm nor deny HBCU band talk. I'll just say that. Players watching the All Star Bowls. I'll make I'll make it for next live stream next week. I'll be doing the same type of live show. I'll get a that'll be one of the topics. Uh, P is that I'll get a, a whole bunch of list of players to watch in the different All Star Bowls. Texas Southern had a solid schedule. What do you think about Eli Brickhouse? He's a quarterback. He's got potential. I'm surprised. Uh, v. I I got to see how many attempts he had this year and everything. But I'm surprised they didn't try to ride with him more 
down the stretch. I mean, if you're winning, I get why you don't make it. But while they were trying to figure out their quarterback situation, um, let's see. But I don't know if I don't remember the kid's name. V. I got it on Twitter. Me and Scotty talked about it. Um, it's the kid out of I've, I'm, oh man, I got to figure out. I think he's out of South Carolina. V. He's like six foot one eighty. He was he was signed in the early signing day. That kid is going to be an issue, like disgustingly an issue. The first highlight he takes, he takes a direct snap at quarterback, runs like straight to the straight to the edge of the defense and outruns everyone down the field. It was like a 90-something yard touchdown, and nobody touched him. And he's got a beautiful deep ball. I'll have to go back and look at the live show we did on early signing day to get his name, but I think that kid can make a run at the starting quarterback spot with with the uncertainty around who's going to start next year. Um, I, I, I got to find the kid's name though. I'll, I'll, I'll DM you though. I'll, I'll shoot you his, uh, his tape on Twitter or something. How do you feel about South Carolina state, uh, seven non-conference schedule? I haven't seen, let's see. I haven't seen their schedule. Let me pull it up. Let's see. They don't have it on their website. Say 2023. All right. So South Carolina State, um, Lawrence, they play Jackson State in the MEAC SWAC Challenge. They play Charlotte and Georgia Tech back to back weeks on the road. They play Alabama State, the Citadel at FAMU on the seventh. And then they play Tennessee Tech. Um, That's brutal. Oh, because you easily, I'm talking about easily could start out 0-4. Because you could lose to Jackson. You're definitely probably losing to both Charlotte and Georgia Tech. There's a chance Alabama State comes into Orangeburg and gets to win. Um, and then on top of that, ah, I, think, I think they'll beat the Citadel, especially with how good they are in the trenches. They should beat the Citadel. But, I mean, you're looking at, again, it, we talked about South Carolina State and A&T last year. I mean, they, they could easily be like 0-4. That with the way their schedule is set up, Jackson week week zero becomes a must win. Lawrence, they have to. I mean, they gotta win. I mean, you start the season with Jackson, Charlotte, Georgia Tech, Alabama State, and the Citadel, and then you get and well, there's not a, well they haven't announced a conference schedule, but you could get a bye week before you have to travel to Bragg. Man, if if they don't get a bye week and they have like Central on the thirtieth of September. You could start the season Jackson, Charlotte, Georgia Tech, Alabama State, the Citadel, a tough conference game at Florida AM, and then have to face Tennessee Tech the week after. That is God dog. Yeah, that's that's brutal, Lawrence. I'm talking about that is horrible. Like that 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 is a it is a must win against Jackson week zero and a definitely must win week four against Alabama State. That that is Good Lord, South Carolina State played no games with that schedule. Morgan State coach was at Bowie for 13 years, and Morgan will be good for years. I agree. I got to see all the schedules together, Reese. I can't I can't predict that right now. Uh, after prime Lawrence, I don't think that's a guarantee. I, I, I hate to say this. I don't know how people feel about this. I think it's more likely that FAMU or North Carolina Central gets preseason ranked over Jackson. 
because you know the preseason rankings are kind of based off of last year, but a lot of people try to base it off of what's coming back. Like Incarnate Word Tate, after uh, Cameron Ward left, you know they've rebounded and, and played well. But I, I really do think that Central and Fam are the most likely teams to be preseason ranked in the FCS polls compared to Jackson. Those are the top three. But I, I got a feeling Fam and North Carolina Central probably have the best shots to be preseason ranked. Uh, man, I can't speak for anybody, Sonic. Uh, I don't know. I mean, probably there'll probably be a lot of people pulling double duty, kind of like the uh, pregame show. But I don't know if anyone would, would dip out. All replacement Nice and Stephen F. Austin, two winnable games. I I'm going to do a full early signing day uh, recap, Larry. That's probably going to be on the next episode of the next live show. Is I'll, I'll kind of I'm going to try to come out with the rankings for all the early signing day classes. But I thought FAMU did a hell of a job, and the kid from uh. The running back from Nebraska is a dog, and if as long as they commit to running the football with him, he can be a game changer, Larry. That that's the number one person I'm excited to see play. And then the kid from southeastern Louisiana on the D line is a much needed addition. Brings experience, brings some size, and with some of the losses that Famu Famu has had over these past two seasons, that's big. I really wish they would have landed Raymond Cutts. If you guys remember, he was the kid from Garden City who was committed to FAMU, didn't academically qualify, went back to Garden City, had another All-American year, ended up going to Troy instead of coming back to FAMU, and I think that was a huge loss in terms of edge rushers for FAM. Texas Southern plays Rice in Toledo. Rice is a winnable game. I'll say that. Rice is definitely a winnable game. He said they could start 0-8. <laughs> Eli was injured. That's why he didn't play. Okay. Yeah. South Carolina State, <laughs> South Carolina State taking out all the AT quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, there were some outrageous comments. I'll say this: <laughs> there were some people saying, like, no offense to anyone coming in, but I love Philip Short's game. I, I, I do think Philip Short is better than. Um, I, I like Philip Short's game. I think Hatton is really good. But there were a lot of people commenting that they were both better than Shador already. Like, like let's pump the brakes a little bit. Let's uh, let's definitely tap the brakes on that. Okay, like they're good, but but we're not going to say that they're better than the the offensive player of the year from the SWAC already before they've taken a snap. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Jackson's quarterback situation is going to be a, extremely extremely interesting though, and I think. I trust TC to make the right decision. And also, once they announce the offensive coordinator, that's going to be a huge telltale sign of, I think, who's going to win that quarterback battle. Um, is based on who we think Maurice Harris is, is going to pick. Let's see, fam, you won't be high after the OVC. <laughs> he said we no longer recognize the pregame show. Valley plays NCCU, so that's a loss right there. That's why SCSU has more players in the NFL from HBCs. Uh, that's fair. If TC can get the O line QB one right, they'll repeat again. I agree. I, I'm I, like I said. I think the East is going to come down to FAMU and Jackson again. Alabama State will kind of be that third place team. That's pretty good, depending on what happens. If D Davis comes out and reaches his potential, that could be interesting. I think the West is the one that is most up in the air. I mean, the West is going to be pure chaos because I think Bethune's still a little while away from competing. Valley's not competing this year. Alabama A&M didn't sign anybody in early signing day, it seemed like. So I, I think it's going to come down to Jackson and Fam again. That OBC is going to be huge again. Th that is a concern, though, is the O-line because I think they have, what, three returning starters for Jackson State? 
you've got to replace Tyler Brown, which is tough. It's a first-team all-conference guy. I didn't love the film of the one offensive lineman that Jackson brought in in the early signing period, but there's still time to land some other transfers there. And you have the kid, uh, Maximus Gibbs from USC, that could step in on the interior, um, and 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 that will be the that will be the, the the question. Yeah, cuts was a huge loss. PV could beat Houston Christian and Abilene. I'll say that. Yeah, I saw the offer, man. I'm ho- I'm hoping he makes a decision to stay at the FCS level. I really like the kid's game, but I understand if you have to go FBS. I get it. Appreciate you tuning in, Travis. Man, what's up? What's good, man? He says, "Shake my." <laughs> Bro, Aaron, um, you you can check the comments of my Philip Short video. Uh, there were a few people saying that he was better than Shador already. Uh, I'm telling you, the offensive line is always a is always a priority for me. If you don't have an offensive line, I don't want to hear it. Look at the period announcement for the Knicks. I, Dale, I talked earlier. I think it's coming after the after the new year. I would expect the week after, or, or really next week at the. After this holiday weekend, I'll expect AT to make a move. If not, it got to happen in the next two weeks. There's no way they let this drag on past the next two weeks. If if you do, you're going to be in some hot water to say, I, in my opinion, with with a lot of social media, with a lot of alumni. JSU needs to sign 30 line, 3-4 D line in the late signing period. I'm I, I agree with you on that. What do you think about the Stephen F. Austin Alcorn rematch? I think Alcorn has a great shot to win. I know it's on the road. Stephen F. Austin has an all right environment. Not not a huge no, like I don't think the attendance number is going to be very high personally, but I, I they do have a solid like student section and, and all that. But I think that's a winnable game for all it was a winnable game this year for all core state and they choked. And Stephen F. Austin is losing Trey Self, losing Xavier Gibson, they're losing BJ Tom Thompson, they're losing a lot of key contributors while all corns returning a lot of talent. That should be a game Alcorn wins, and a road win over Stephen F. Austin would be huge. It won't hold the same like top 10 weight that it did last year because Stephen F. Austin isn't going to be ranked that high if ranked at all, but it would still be a huge out-of-conference win, a, a win over a WAC team who was a defending champion, back-to-back defending champion. That would be huge for Alcorn State. That's just outrageous. I mean, let's be honest. I, like, I don't I don't want to really get off too too – I, I want to get off – track here with this with, with the show winded down but I, I hate to say this Sanders isn't even a top five Pac-12 quarterback right now let's just keep it a buck he's not better than Caleb Williams he's not better right now than Michael Penix he's definitely not better than Cameron Ward he's not better than, he, he was not better than Bo Nix this year at the P5 level like I mean he might be fifth maybe Jaden Delore is still there Cam Rising, I believe, is still coming back for another year. Come on, bro. Like he is not a legit. Stop it. Like the the reigning Hosman Trophy winner is in your division. Come on, man. That's out. That's out. That's outrageous. They did it for clicks. Let's just let's just keep it. Let's just keep it a bug. They did it for clicks. I get it. But no one who really understands or watches football does not thinks he's thinks he's a Hosman contender. It was the same thing I said this season. He was not a Heisman contender at any point of this year, regardless of the Heisman house or any of that BS. He, he come on, man. No, no, he won't even in the uh, he won even in the top five for the Walter Payton at the FCS level. I mean, that's all you need to know. Like he's going up, he's going up against the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. 
Man, Penix threw for 4,500 yards, which led the country this year. Penix led the entire nation in passing yards this year. Yes, Penix, I am absolutely sure. Absolutely sure Michael Penix is a better quarterback right this second. Oh, he said, I believe you bought that raining and weather down with you to all corn. Man, I was so upset, Mr. Kincaid. I was so ready to see that game. Man, that, that game, that was the, okay, no offense. <laughs> that was the worst experience I had all year. I, I was so upset. That, that game didn't end until like 2 o'clock in the morning. I was driving through the backwoods of, of Mississippi from Lorman back to Mobile at like 4 o'clock in the morning. That was a brutal, brutal trip. I, I was nauseated at that trip. I'm just getting on with the final top 10. Um, I didn't show it on here. I'll, I'll try to find it for you, man. It's on my Twitter somewhere, but uh, let's see. Uh. Man, I, I got so many posts, but um, I'll, let me get some of the other questions while I try to load it up. Rising is a crazy white boy, a quarterback. <laughs> Football is more high school commit or transfer portal commit this year as of now. I, I, I don't know the exact stats, man. I, I don't know what the exact numbers are in terms of how many high school players compared to uh, compared to transfer portal players. There's a whole lot of um. There's a whole lot of players in the transfer portal. I'll just say that he's a Penix broke the Washington passing yards record. <laughs> oh God, he's a Jaden Delora. I I'm I'm with you on that. But um, the two four seven sports rankings, man, um, were Campbell, Jackson State, Western Carolina, Princeton, Harvard, FAMU at six, Idaho at seven, Tarleton State at eight, Stephen F. Austin nine, Texas Southern ten, according to two four seven. Uh, for on three. It was Campbell, Princeton, Idaho, North Dakota State, Harvard, Stephen F. Austin, Jackson State, Penn, Montana State, and Northern Arizona, and Yale tied at 10th. Those are the FCS recruiting rankings for on three and two, four, seven. Um, it would just depend on the position. If I was an offensive lineman, uh, okay, so if I, I just stretched it out to HBCU football, if I was an offensive lineman, I would I would go play for North Carolina. I, I would play for North Carolina Central if I was an O-lineman. Um, if I had to keep it in the swag, okay, I, I not I, I would probably say FAMU. If I had to pick a school, you know, playing my real position and everything, and I was getting recruited, I'd probably pick FAMU. It would probably come down to FAMU or Southern would be my two picks uh, for where I would want to go as a as an offensive lineman. I think they've done the, they've done two of the best jobs developing O linemen recently. I'm a Southern dude, man. I, I I I got family in Tallahassee, and also, man, I love Baton Rouge slash Louisiana. So I would, those would probably be my two. And also, the uniforms are are awesome, and both crowds are electric. Those would probably be my two picks. Uh, for where I would play in the swag, just personally. And don't take offense if I didn't pick your school. I still love everybody in the swag, but those would probably be my two picks is, is Southern or FAMU. Oh, let's see. Uh, favorite HBCU game I attended? Um. I, okay, so for experience wise, I would I would I, I would say the Soul Bowl if I had to pick one, just in terms of 
I think the top three would be the Soul Bowl, Alabama State, and then Jackson for the SWAC championship. Those would th- those would probably be my top three HBCU games I attended this year. Man, I, I don't know what it was about the Soul Bowl. That game was different. It was cold as it was cold as hell. Don't get me wrong, but um th- those three those three games were different and the soul bowl was so much fun from the tailgating to the, as much as I hated waking up that early and having to sit on the stretch at four o'clock in the damn morning, five o'clock in the damn morning. It like that, that added to even the experience and, and Mr. Kincaid did a great job with the tailgate. The crowd was electric. There were a million people on the sidelines. It was a hell of a game. The, the atmosphere was insane. There was a swag championship bid on the line at that time. Uh, that one was that one was so much fun. I I will never forget that first Soul Bowl experience, and that was probably one of the top games I went to all season long, and one of the, my favorite memories of going to a football game. Uh, that ranks up there with one of the best experiences I've had, regardless of level, man. Uh, from from HBCU to P five, whatever. That was that was some of the most fun and and most excitement I had. That was that was great. I'll say that the the, the Soul Bowl at Alcorn, Jack State, Alcorn State. That that was that was so much fun, man. Uh, I had a blast at that game. Penn uh, Penn Penn Junior is playing Texas right now in the Alamo Bowl. Penix Junior and Cam Ward are really high on NFL draft boards. They like to run blocker pass block. For me, okay, being being a tackle, I've really I've really enjoyed run blocking personally. I remember. We had a play. It was it was like something Gator, man. I, I don't remember the exact name of like all the BS on that play, but it was Gator was the call that mattered to me, man. And it was like a double pull play, and the guard would pull, kick out the defensive end, and it would just be me and Jesus in the hole. And it'd either be a linebacker who I had the leverage on, or in in some amazing cases, it would be a cornerback or a safety that didn't want it. And man, that that play, I mean, we had to score. I don't know why we just didn't call that play 100% of the time because we probably scored on that play at will because, I mean, nobody stopped it. it. That was my favorite place. I love run blocking, man. And I played tackles. So I only got the pull on one play. Man, I, I loved it. And I, I just love run blocking because I, you just get to – I, that's where you really get to be nasty and physical. And I was – and I'll be honest. I was a trash talker as an O-lineman. I love talking trash. And run blocking is where it was. And uh, that that was where the fun was. I didn't like pass blocking as a tackle, especially man those corner blitzes. And if you had to pick it up, man, I still have nightmares. I remember one of the biggest sacks I gave up. Man, they we, we were playing blunt in a game, and they brought a they disguised like a a slot blitz, and the DN like did a stunt, and man, I by the time I turned my head, the corner was probably like right on me, and I mean he probably ran like a four three. I'm a bigger dude. I didn't run a four three, and he he I, he clocked the quarterback. And I remember I was just nauseous. That that I hated that. I hated those 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 corner blitz, especially if the running back didn't do his job. So, yeah, give me run blocking all day. Uh, let's see. He said officially blue loves all of us, but deep down in his heart, he can't stand them. <laughs> oh man, have you heard anything on the potential JSU staff? Nothing that um. No, nothing that you haven't heard. Maurice uh, for the offensive coordinator from Liberty and um, 
and, and then the Alcorn State D-line coach is the potential D coordinator uh, slash D-line coach for Jack. Those are the only two I heard, but um, I, I think both of those are solid hires. And I've heard rumors about some other ones, but listen, I don't report on anything unless I, I know for a fact. So I'll just leave it at that. Those are the two names that I've heard are the two names that probably everyone in here um, has heard. I will be at the Senior Bowl um, down in Mobile. Um, I live in Mobile. I'll, I'll be at the Senior Bowl. I'm really going to try to do a, a good job of highlighting the FCS players. So if you're looking for FCS content from the Senior Bowl, tune in here because I'm really going to try to give them the media attention they deserve. It was hella cold, Mr. He On the field, I thought I bundled up enough. I was freezing to death in, in, in that game. For sure. I'll definitely be back at I'll, I'll definitely be back at Alcorn. Man, I went to a MIAC game, Russell. It was the Central Campbell game, but I didn't make it to a MIAC, MIAC game. Um, I do plan on going to – so I've already picked out some – so I've already kind of started getting my schedule together for next year, picking out some potential games that have been announced. I do plan on being um, – I, I do plan on being at a MIAC, MIAC game. I haven't picked it out yet, but right now I'm looking at the Florida Classic on the 25th next year. I'm looking at Sanford, UT Martin. I'm looking at the uh, Dakota Markers, uh, South Dakota State, North Dakota State. I'm looking at Incarnate Worth, Southeastern Louisiana, Central versus Campbell at Central, Weber State, Montana State. And then I'm also looking at Campbell, William & Mary, South Dakota State, Montana State. Then, of course, Tennessee State really got me with an opportunity to go cover that Notre Dame game on the sidelines. And I really can't pass up an opportunity to go experience Notre Dame on the field. So I'm probably going to do that one week one. That's a fat Listen, if you're looking for a tailgate, definitely, definitely hit up Mr. Kincaid that they have the best tailgate that I've seen at any location. Reese, I play for Baker, uh, Baker high school, seven, a team, um, down in Mobile, man. We're in the same like region, I think, as like Theodore. It changed since I've graduated, but we played Bryant, Theodore, Murphy. Um, at that time, I, I I think my sophomore years when we moved to 7A, if I'm not mistaken, because we used to play Blunt a lot, McGill, um, a lot of those teams down in Mo, uh, Mobile area. We also played Daphne one time when they had TJ Yeldon. That was interesting, but. Yeah, One Man Army now, when we named the show, I had my guy, Brent, uh, B-Dub, Brandon, with me. It's just me. Um, there'll be a lot of changes. Listen, the website's changing. Just to give y'all, I really wanted to change things up in 2023. So th to open up doors that I need to kind of bring y'all the next level of content, this will be the Blue Bloods College Football Podcast, but the website and the Blue Bloods are shifting to a media organization. So the website will be the Blue Blood CFB It'll be, it'll be a professional website. I'm looking for interns to come on, write for the site, work as photographers for college credit, videographers, things like that. We're turning the Blue Bloods into a legit media organization. The YouTube channel will stay the podcast. We'll still have our podcast links. That will just be a sub category of what the Blue Bloods overall as a network is. And I'm, and I'm looking to expand into some other areas as well regarding FCS football, but to unlock some opportunities um, for the platform to grow, I had to kind of shift into a more legit media organization. So that will be happening and in early in the new year as well. I got you, man. Hit me up. I, I, I got you. Um, I got you some, I got you some spots in mobile to stay for the senior bowl. I mean, I had to go to the Florida classic I had to, 
that 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 was that was the first one I ha- I had to I had to, I put on my schedule. Go watch Howard kick the stuffing out of Morgan again. Now, that's what I want to do. I I, I promised my <laughs> I, I promised some of my, my Morgan people that I would come up to Baltimore for a game. So I might have to come up to that Howard Morgan game. I I, I got to get a Morgan State game in. I got to go support my guy Damon Wilson and Antoine Suwell. So Morgan will probably be on the schedule too. It's it's tough to balance Wayne going to some like FCS games rather than sticking to all HBCU games because, you know, some of the FCS people are like, man, you got to come to some of our games. That's why late last year I kind of was switching my schedule around because I started out going strictly HBCU games, had to kind of throw in some other FCS teams to spread the love around. So I'm going to try to kind of make it 50-50 this next year. He said, I went to Davidson. I hated Baker. (laughs) I feel that, man. I I tell you, Baker Baker being such a big school, the the clicks and – However, however uh, many people were at that school, it was wild. Baker was a inter- you you know this, Reese. Baker was an interesting place. I'll just put it that way. If you if you didn't graduate from Baker, or live in Mobile, you don't understand how wild Baker High School was. Definitely not selling out, man. De- nothing's changing on here. It's just the website name and some of the content will be posted, man. Appreciate y'all. But listen, two hour live stream. I wanted to bring you guys some content since the roundtable got canceled. Hope you guys enjoyed the show, man. Um, you catch the replay, of course, on here. I'll also be posted on all the podcast streaming platforms. Listen, FCS National Championship content is coming. All the press conferences are already posted. Three players from both South Dakota State and North Dakota State, both head coaches are posted on the channel. Both head coach interviews are posted on the podcast, um, on podcast streaming platforms as well. A lot more stuff coming on the website. Uh, so stay tuned for that, thebluebloodspod.com. I'll be covering the Senior Bowl, the Legacy Bowl, a bunch of all-star games. So listen, just because it's the off-season, you guys know it does not become the off-season right here on the Blue Bloods. But guys, until next time, see you all soon. But for right now, the Blue Bloods are out.